Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Freaking Geeks podcast as we do another episode of Stranger Things Season 1. I'm your host, Michael, and with me is Sarah. Hey, geeks. So we are in Episode 5 of Season 1 for Stranger Things titled The Flea and the Acrobat. So big, big stuff. Um, Really, really enjoyed this episode. yeah, Sarah, what were your kind of your broad thoughts when you finished this? I I love this episode. Uh, after the fourth episode, and like I always forget, like we kind of come Peter off of like Holly Jolly, and after the fourth episode, you kind of go into back to like oh my god, <laughs> big stuff happening, and this one's pretty massive. Um, some great stuff happening. Um, yeah, I really like this episode. Uh, I always forget how big it is. Uh, I love seeing Hopper in just kind of his conspiracy theory element. It's really fun to watch. You know, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I thought it's it's really good. Uh, for some reason, I always underestimate this episode. Yeah, same here. I don't here. know why. It, it's I don't know why. It's not that I don't like it. It's just for some reason, it it never grabs me until I watch it. Yeah. You know, like even when exactly. I think about it later, it's like, oh, it's a good episode, I guess. And then I watch it, I'm like, wow, this is a good episode. So, I know, it's it, like, we always think that Holly Jolly is like the peak of excellence and such a powerful episode that nothing else kind of compares. <laughs> but it's not. It's because, I mean, it's there's not so true. many. Yeah, Everything is so good. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's kind of let's start here and, and talk about this episode. We'll break things down as we move along here. So it opens up with Joyce um, and her <clears throat> wayward ex-husband, Lonnie. Oh, I hate uh, him. My God, he's the worst. He is Just... the grossest of horrible ex-husbands. Oh, God, he's like such a tool. It's, it's yep. ter- Ugh. So he's trying to convince her that she could be crazy. Now, I'm going to be, for a moment, I'm going to, to momentarily stop my Lonnie hate. Um <laughs> Because I will say this, if I didn't understand what was going on and I was confronted with this from somebody that I knew and had been married to, uh, who, when you walk into the house and you're looking around and there's lights everywhere and there's letters in black paint up on the wall and she just tore a hole through the, <laughs> through the, through the wall with an ax. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll be honest. I'm going to, I'm going to throw Lonnie a bone here. Um, I, I'd have to admit, I probably would feel the same way. And I don't think anybody, nobody could tell me that they would be like, oh, I would believe them. Like, no, you wouldn't believe them. You would think they're crazy too. Yeah. It's pretty out there. I'll give them that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just continue on with this thread. Um, I'm not going to go and I'm not going to jump to the different characters. I'm just going to kind of keep with the same characters that we usually do. So, uh, Jonathan and uh, Joyce and Lonnie, they have to have uh, uh, Will's funeral tomorrow. Uh, Joyce doesn't want to have it, right? Because, of course, she doesn't think that Will's dead. But there is a little part of her, I think, in this episode early on that begins to wonder if maybe he could be really dead. Yeah, like she she can't feel him anymore, so she's starting to doubt herself. Right, uh, and the and Lonnie expressing of the possibility that that like I believe her aunt, she could be crazy. I think begins to actually 
kind of make inroads in our mind as, as a real possibility. Um, so they have to get up and go to the funeral. Um, they go there, but you can tell Joyce doesn't really have any desire to be there. Uh, before that, Lonnie and um, Jonathan, because uh, Jonathan comes home and he wants to talk to his mom, but but Lonnie's like, "You'll make it worse." Uh, he and he and uh, Jonathan, Lonnie and Jonathan, get into a bit of an argument. Uh, then the line that I think infuriates everybody: <laughs> take down that, is. take down that poster. The evil uh, dead poster. It, it, yeah, it's 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 insensitive or something like, like that. Screw you! It's like, dude, you know you are such an idiot. I mean, it's just go away you know it's just it's terrible um so anyway they go to the funeral joyce doesn't want to be there so lonnie is kind of tasked with being the one to kind of accept the condolences from all the people around them uh while joyce just kind of stands there kind of dazed and she probably hasn't slept much in the last like three or four days anyway yeah so for her this is doubly worse because a she's being confronted with the possibility that she could be crazy and that he could be dead and she's running on like like four hours of sleep you know total so uh, so they do that um they come back uh and lonnie when he when he was there he said that he'd stop by the the quarry where will had had died um just to kind of look around, right? And he says, he makes little threats, like somebody should pay for it. Somebody, you know, there's no fence anywhere. There's no signs, nothing. And Like they some, should be held accountable. Yeah, they should be held accountable. And you can see Joyce kind of gets like a quizzical look on her face. Like, like why would Something you Something suspicious. It's weird. Yeah. So yeah, she gets a little suspicious. Lonnie gets in the shower. And Joyce begins to kind of root around in his pants and pulls out a folded up piece of paper. And when she unfolds it, it's uh, it's uh, a number for a lawyer and, you know, that, that he could contact about, you know, suing essentially um, this place, this rock quarry place, because they didn't have anything up there to prevent Will from falling and, and, and dying. So, and profiting off his son's death. Essentially. So Ugh. Lonnie gets out of the shower. Uh, Nan- or not Nancy. John- oh, yeah, Nancy. Um, Joyce confronts him with it. And he tries valiantly. I'll give him credit. He tries to kind of justify his, his doing this. Accusing um, you like, oh, we'll use it for Jonathan to go to school. When, right. Uh, what and she, an asshole. Yeah, and she's like, "Where did he want to go to school?" And he's like, "I don't know, wherever he wants." Because he totally misses the point, you know. Like he misses he misses the point, which is, it's not about the fact that he wants to go to school. As a as his father, you should probably know at this point where he wants to go to school. And the fact that you know he's wanted to go to the same school since he was like five years old yeah. and Lonnie doesn't know it is a testament again further proof that he is a is a shitty father uh a, an asshole of the highest level and uh needs to to leave and that's exactly what she does you know 
Um, I love she, the line ugh. she has of like, "I will keep these lights up if I think there's a chance that woman might be out there until I die." I was just like, that gives me goosebumps every time I hear it. <laughs> I and I like I like how he tries to throw it in her face that Will's missing. You know, like, you know, gee, Joyce, like, you're such a good mom. Like, look what happened. And she's like, are you kidding me? You know, at least I was here. You know, at least I was present. You know, at least I was here taking care of my kids and not off screwing some teenager. (laughs) You know, like, it's, it's, I I love how, I love how some, uh, like, you have a single parent, right? And the other parent, the father or mother of whatever child that uh that a single parent has will just come back in the house and start throwing stuff at them like what the hell as if you did nothing wrong right like you know you get to be all like high and mighty and but you didn't do anything you weren't anywhere you weren't present you don't you didn't care about them you don't come to see your kids you know, like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I hate that. I hate when you have, like, these single parents. And, you know, Joyce may be frazzled, and she may be, most of the time, even before Will went missing, been running on little sleep because she works her butt off. But you know what? You never question her love for her children because she's always, always trying to do what's best for them. And you never get that sense from Lonnie, but that Lonnie has the gall to stand there. And in this moment of crisis, in this tragedy that has happened, uh, where regardless of how it happened, Will fell and, and died. It It's, or at least appeared to have died. And we, we obviously, we know yeah, the truth. We know but, the truth. <laughs> but, but, in the, but to them, he's dead. So in this tragedy... Lonnie gets to come back and be, you know, the righteous anger, you know, has, has the righteous anger and can throw this in, in Joyce's face. And it's, I hate it. What do you, what yeah. do you think about this whole storyline? Oh, I, I want to push him off a cliff. I hate him so much. And, but I love Joyce. She doesn't just kind of like crumble and you know, cry and get upset. You know, she just verbally throws it back at him at every throw he has to her and i love that she's there's a strength even during all this there's a strength in her that's not gonna back down and that's not taking any of his shit and i love it yeah i love it too it shows you that there's a real strength there yeah um a strength uh you know she sticks to her convictions um and she sticks she sticks to her morals too um and i like that uh we do get a flashback of before will went missing uh, he's sitting at the table. He's drawing a, a wizard, uh, <laughs> Will the Wise. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I love this scene because, you know, in this first season, and certainly up to this point, all we've seen from Joyce at this point is, just, is a frazzled mother, desperately searching for her kid, dealing with grief, dealing with this crazy stuff that's going on around her. Uh, and so I know that there's been criticism about her performance this season because it feel some people it feels very one note to me i say well over the course of a week and your child went missing what would you do yeah seriously like so that's crazy right. she is amazing right she's great and uh but what's great about this scene it gives a nice counterbalance to all of that because we've only had a couple of scenes now so far where it's actually shown us a different side of joyce the side of a normal mother 
uh, with her kid. And so uh, Will is there coloring and he's drawing Will the Wise, who's a wizard. Uh, Joyce asks if, why does he need to shoot fireballs? Can he simply outsmart the bad guys? And I love this line from Will, which is, yeah. sure, most of the time, but sometimes the bad guys are smart too. Yeah, I love that. It's such a good line. And it's just a perfect reflection of currently what's going on. Right. It's a reflection of, of what we know, which is sometimes the bad guys, i.e. what's going on now, Brenner. currently, Brenner and company, sometimes they're smart too. So, yeah. um, you know, but it's a nice sweet scene because she's like, I'm going to get you some some new crayons so that you can actually draw the fireballs red because right now they look like cabbages. Cabbages, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. Yep. Um, so, uh, Joyce puts all the lights back up, right? Of um, because, of course, she was going to. Why would she ever take them down? Lonnie took them down. Moron yep. that he is. Uh, so, I'm going to actually switch over to Hopper right now because these two storylines story are going to meet. I um, love Hopper. So, Hopper, at the beginning of this episode... Right, he breaks into the lab um, using bolt cutters. He manages to get through the fence, gets into the building, and gets confronted with the one security uh, guy and another officer. And then Hopper goes, well, he just goes full Hopper, which is generally <laughs> uh, punch now, ask questions later. <laughs> and it's I love, I love Hopper. I just love when he just says, you know what, I don't have time for this. How you know? Yep, takes him down, takes so, the guy's gun and his badge, and gets through the quarantined area. Right. So he uh, he manages to get down below to where the the portal where the opening is into the other dimension. Um, it, there's the the spores are everywhere, and he kind of reaches over and kind of touches it, and then he gets. He gets uh, attacked. And initially, they make in the show they make it look like it could be the monster, but it's actually just some men who find yeah. their way down there and they uh, stick a needle in his neck and inject him with something which knocks him out. And then he wakes up in his own trailer. Um, there are pills everywhere. There's drugs. Um, there's alcohol. Obviously, they're kind of painting him to look like he's just a big drug addict uh, on a bender. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they probably just shot him up with uh, maybe cocaine or some kind of drug, something like that. Yeah. Well, at the very least, they gave him a tranquilizer or something just yeah. to get him out. Um, and yes, they probably could have put something else in his system, but at the very least, they knocked him out. Uh, he immediately starts going through his uh, his trailer. He cuts open his couch. He tears everything <laughs> apart. The last thing he ends up pulling down is a light. And when he looks inside, there is a bug. A wire bug. A yep. wire bug. Um, so then Hopper, well, actually, his two lieutenants or whatever they are, the <laughs> Idiot one and idiot two, I call them. Yeah, seriously. Uh, they come over because one of the women, uh, there, there are two. There, are, I think they're her husband and another friend went camping or hunting. I think no hunting, and they never returned. 
And when they tell him the location, Hopper says, oh, Mirkwood. Um, yeah. Which means basically the same location that Will went missing. Yeah, red flag. Red flag. So the guys leave, and he makes his way over to Joyce's place. He pounds on the door, and initially she thinks it's Lonnie coming back. And when she goes over and opens up the door, Hopper's there with his hand, finger over his lips telling her to be quiet with a sign that lets her know that, you know, you have don't to be quiet. To, you know, don't say anything. Don't speak. So um, he looks up <laughs> and sees this. all the lights and he just says, oh, boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> he has to check every single bulb. He checks every one of them. And uh, when he does, finally, <laughs> he probably spent like an hour doing it. Or more. <laughs> And I want to say something quickly here, because what I love about this scene is Lonnie took down the lights he wasn't supposed to. Uh, Joyce said, I will not let anybody take down these lights. These lights will be up until the day I die. But guess what? Hopper is the one person who's, who takes these lights down, and that's okay. That's because he has a purpose. He believes her. And he's not doing it just because he thinks he's crazy. Well, it's not just that. I just feel like there's a level of trust there and care between these two, which is kind of symbolized through his ability to take all these lights down and she doesn't ask a question. So I love it. She doesn't tell him, don't do that. I want these need to be up. I need to, what if Will tries to contact me? So uh, he takes them all apart. He finally says, I think it's a good, I think we're okay. And that's when he informs her that she was right, that his place was bugged, uh, that they're after him, somebody's after him. She says, who? She's confused. She says, he says, Joyce, you were right. I went to the morgue last night. It wasn't Will's body. And she kind of sits on the couch, like she almost falls back into the couch. It's like, and he says, you were right. You were right. And like how incredible that feeling has to be. Like finally someone is justifying what you are starting to believe might be just crazy thoughts and you get to find out you're not crazy. And also that your son might still be out there. That's a pretty amazing thing to be told. Yeah. Well, it's vindication, you know, it's vindication for her uh, experiences, for everything that she's seen, everything that's happened to her, everything that's that's happened since we went missing. Um, She now knows that it's, it's real. It really is real. There's no question it's real. Uh, so I, I really like this. And, and I love that because when do you ever hear on a show a character go, oh, get you were right. They actually give you credit for being right, you know, yeah. like sticking to crazy. your beliefs. Totally. It's wonderful to see a show actually go out and do that. I mean, th- I mean you can tell there's a there's a, a real care, like the, a relationship there. Like... I never got the sense, and you know, tell me if if this is true in your mind. I don't think that Hopper and Joyce just slept together one time. You know, probably had a relationship. Do you think that we'll ever get more information on that in the future? I hope so. I I totally ship Joyce and Jim together. Like next season, I would like to see that <laughs> he's full time around the house, hanging around. Even if they're not together together, I'd want to see him there like most of the time. Mm. Cause yeah. I like their relationship. I like it a lot. 
it's very, you know, the respect that Mulder and Scully kind of have with each other and the, the same rapport. Uh, it's you know, borderline you know, marital relationship kind of trust, <laughs> but without having that aspect. Uh, I totally, totally agree. Um, let's see here. Where do we want to pick up? Um, teacher at the uh, funeral. With the right. Well, we should probably yeah. We should probably start out with the the kids. Uh, so they, uh, they're downstairs. They've already, they brought Elle back. She's kind of resting on the couch. Just she's drained. She's drained. Um, and that's when Mike kind of picks up on the concept of the upside down because they keep talking about what Will said, um, over the, uh, the radio. And that's when Mike says, Oh, I think, you know, like he knows what it is suddenly. He's like, snaps in a place and he grabs the D board and he flips it over and that's when he says the upside down like like a reflection of our world but dark but different and that's when they they start pulling out D terms like the veil of shadows and and all this so it, it like the demogorgon was what they used to describe the monster using D terminology they're also doing the same thing with with the upside down itself they're actually utilizing the D terms which i've always loved on the show yes yes and the veil of shadows is a perfect representation of what the upside down world is yeah and they They're ask identical they ask al if she knows how to get there and she shakes her head no of course lucas is like he doesn't say it but he's probably thinking like useless because mm-hmm. lucas is such a downer <laughs> Yeah, he really downer on L for sure. So we have a funeral. Uh, the kids are there, and they look over. At least Dustin looks over and sees this <laughs> this blonde haired girl uh, crying, and he kind of nudges. Uh, I don't remember who he nudges. Oh, that's Lucas or, or Mike. But uh, he says, "Look, you know, I, you know, can't wait until we de- tell Will that Jennifer Hayes cried at his funeral." <laughs> and then they get shushed. And I just love that scene because it's such a thing that kids would do. Like they would definitely see that. And, and I love how it also reflects at this point, especially now, their total belief that A, Will is alive and that B, they're going to see Will again because they have to, right? They got to tell him that Jennifer Hayes cried at his funeral. Like that's huge. That's a huge thing. <laughs> <laughs> the girl actually, you know, legit cared about you. You have to, you know, be alive to go get her. <laughs> like, like there's this girl and she must have really liked you because she cried at your funeral. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. So we move on to the, uh, um, I guess, what, what is it? The, it's not a wake, obviously. It's um, kind of just I like the po- service afterwards. Yeah, the service, the yeah post post-service uh everyone's there they're eating and congregating uh and uh uh mr uh oh, i can't think of his name right now oh uh, mr uh oh boy clark that's right there we go mr clark i got it uh mr clark is there they, they approach him the kids do uh, they ask he asks how they're doing they ramble on about crying and and they're you know 
Morning. Yeah, morning. <laughs> and that's when they just come out and be like, hey, we have a lot of questions to ask you. And so we have this scene here. Um, I'll let you hear it and we'll talk about it. So you know how in Cosmos, Carl Sagan talks about other dimensions, like beyond our world? Yeah, sure. Theoretically. Right, theoretically. So theoretically, how do we travel there? You guys have been thinking about Hugh Everett's many worlds interpretation, haven't you? Well, basically, there are parallel universes, just like our world, but just infinite variations of it. Which means there's a world out there where none of this tragic stuff ever happened. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Oh. We were thinking of more of an evil dimension, like the Veil of Shadows. You know the Veil of Shadows? Echo of the material plane where necrotic and shadow magic Yeah, exactly. Out. If that did exist, a place like the Veil of Shadows, how would we travel there? Theoretically. Well... Picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. Now the tightrope is our dimension, and our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? Now the flea can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Yeah. Here's where things get really interesting. The flea can also travel this way along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. down. Exactly. But we're not the flea, we're the acrobat. In this metaphor, yes, we're the acrobat. So we can't go upside down? No. Well, is there any way for the acrobat to get to the upside down? Well, you'd have to create a massive amount of energy, more than humans are currently capable of creating, mind you, to open up some kind of tear in time and space, and then, create a doorway. Like a gate? Sure, like a gate. But again, this is all... Theoretical. But but what if this gate already existed? Well, if it did, I, I think we'd know. It would disrupt gravity, the magnetic field, our environment. Heck, it might even swallow us up whole. Science is neat, but I'm afraid it's not very forgiving. All right, Sarah, uh, what did you think of this scene? I like it a lot, and I like how Mr. Clark kind of explains it. You know, it's a very complicated thing, and he really you know, simplifies it for you know them to understand, and also for us to understand. It's a great scene, um, and I love how it's quite a representation of also you know who they are, and like they're clearly the acrobats, but Eleven might be the flea. I love that. Um, yeah, I thought this is a great scene. Yeah, very informative for us, the viewers, as well. I, I like how Mr. Clark is a true D&D &D geek as well. <laughs> like, they just throw out, like, Veil of Shadows and different... And he's just, like, totally knows all of it, you know? I can <laughs> see Mr. Clark on the weekends, you know, after the, the school week. I can definitely see Mr. Clark with over there with a couple of friends, just like these kids do, playing D&D. My parents know a couple people they're friends with that that couple has had a D&D &D group have a one game going for over 30 years now. Isn't that crazy? That is amazing. They still play? Yes. Every, like, I think it's like once a month. Wow. Isn't that, that crazy? That is truly impressive, I gotta say. I mean, that's some right? real commitment. Dedication. Commitment and love for D&D. &D. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. 
Okay, well, the kids, uh, they end up showing L like what Mr. Clark told them. Um, and that's when L she understands enough to understand, like to get what they're saying. And you can see the concern on her face. Dustin is pacing back and forth and he's looking at his, his compass. And that's when he tells them he needs all their compasses right now. And so they dump all their compasses out and I love Dustin. Like the other kids are really smart. There's no doubt about it. But Dustin might be the smartest of the bunch or at least the most pragmatic because he's just like, don't you guys know how compasses work? You know, like yeah, you I think are... they must all be broken. And... Right. And he's like broken. What are you talking about? Do you see a battery? Like these <laughs> things, these things are attracted to, you know, the magnetic North pole. Like this has nothing to do with batteries. What's wrong with you? Uh, but he illustrates the fact that, because uh, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, like these compasses are not correct. Uh, something is interfering with them. And so that's when they realize they need to go in search of the, the portal. Because obviously, as Mr. Clark said in that clip, that if it did exist, it would affect the electromagnetic field. Yeah. So if they follow true north, it'll lead them to the gate. So uh, we see the kids, they're kind of walking along uh, in two groups, uh, Dustin and um, Lucas, and Lucas or downer boy, as I like to call him, because um, <laughs> boy, is he such a downer all the time. And then you have Mike and Al, all cute, walking behind them. Um, you can see the look on Al's face. She's just scared, but she's also beginning to remember. Uh, I get the sense that a lot of the flashbacks that we have seen Elle experience on this show thus far are things that she doesn't remember until she remembers them. I think it's like almost like a PTSD flashback. So uh, as the kids are walking along, we see Elle uh, back at the facility, uh, short hair and all. Uh, she and Brenner are in a room and he comes in and asks her. Now he asks her, technically, he asks her if it would be okay to put her in the tub. But I never saw it as, an, as a, him asking permission so much as asking without really asking. Yeah, asking without any other option. Right. So uh, she has this, um, I guess, this gray suit, whatever, on. Uh, a guy puts these this thing on her head. It has all these lights and stuff and wires. Uh, she gets put into a, 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 a sensory deprivation tank with a helmet on so that she can breathe underwater. And then she suddenly opens her eyes and she's in total blackness. Like it's just dark everywhere. And when she walks around, it's almost like she's walking like through water, but very shallow water. Uh, she sees a man who is speaking Russian. She kind of walks around him. And then all of a sudden she hears a noise. The man vanishes. And Brenner and his his men can also hear it through the speakers. And they're like, what is that? And Brenner's like, I have no idea. Then all of a sudden you hear a roar and Eleven starts to run. Uh, she she's now screaming in the in the sensory deprivation tank. We see uh, back to present day. Um, she pulls Mike's arm. She says, "Hey, I'm feeling really tired. Can we go back?" And Mike says, um, 
you know, just hold on a while longer. We'll be okay. Uh, we, we have to keep going. Um, so the kids uh, eventually get to the spot where apparently they're supposed to be, but it doesn't make any sense because the, a, the portal wasn't there. And it just seems like they were walking around in circles. And that's when Lucas realizes that L has been messing with their compasses. Yeah. She, she goes, go ahead. She has blood. Um, um, that he spots, uh, Mike comes to her defense. Uh, he, cause he believes that the blood is old, but when Al doesn't respond in the affirmative that it's old blood, um, that's when Lucas goes, goes off. Ballistic. And, you know, what I like about this scene is Mike is like so heartbroken, I think in this moment, because he has stuck up for Al so much, especially with regards to Lucas and his opinions and always calling, you know, 11, you know, a freak, a psycho, um, <laughs> all, all, the, all the names that he calls her. And Mike's always stood by her. But now in this instance, he's seeing that she isn't being truthful and it gives uh, Lucas the license to kind of go off on her. And he kind of just spills like all the frustration, all the anger, um, just Will's missing, you know, all of that, all the emotion that's been kind of building up over the last few days kind of comes out. And he says, you know, she basically gave, gave us just enough, uh, just enough information to get what she wanted, which was room in a bed or food in a bed. And, um, Mike says, screw you. And Lucas says, screw you. You know, you just, um, you just like the fact that a girl isn't, um, repulsed by you. Poor and, guy. and, um, they, they start fighting, uh, rolling around on the ground. Eleven is screaming, stop it, stop it. And then she screams and Lucas goes flying off of Mike, skids across the ground and, and slams into, um, I believe, is it a, a van, I believe? Is it sitting on its it's side? Something metal, something scrap metal. just sitting there. Yeah, some scrap metal. And so the kids rush over to see if Lucas is okay. He eventually uh, um, wakes up, but Mike is already yelling at Elle, asking her, what's wrong with you? Uh, what is wrong with you? And it, it flashes. It breaks your heart. Yeah, it yeah because... Um, I believe he said the exact same thing to her and Holly Jolly. Um, yeah. When he, when, when the, when they pulled Will's body out. Yeah. Um, when he said, I thought that you said Will was alive. What's wrong with you? Um, so she can see, uh, she's so devastated by this, um, that, uh, they turn back to, to Lucas, who wakes up, and then he slaps uh, Mike's hand away, stalks off, and Will or an Eleven is nowhere to be found. Mike and Dustin start yelling out her name, but they can't find her, and uh, that kind of ends the the kids' storyline uh, in this episode. So yeah, it always breaks my heart when they yell at L. Like it's a combination of knowing she's doing it for the right reason, and also that that's you know we're all that age and we know what it, how like it hurts when your friends don't understand and you, for the reasons you do things and that they're mad at you. And you just you have a your heart just tugs for her. 
because she can't communicate. I mean, okay, yeah. yes, she can communicate, but I always look at her character as someone who understands things instinctually, but doesn't understand how she knows a lot of what she knows. So it's like she can't even really verbalize like all these questions that, that Dustin throws at her. She doesn't have an answer for because how how she doesn't have the, the inherent knowledge to be able to explain to him the realities of how she knows the things she knows. You know, it's just, she, she just knows them. Um, yeah. Some things that she's experienced and she doesn't want to admit to, like the fact that, you know, she she knows that she's seen the monster and, you know, different things that we'll, we'll learn. But ultimately, it's more like there are things that she knows but can't explain why she has that knowledge. And, and she's like, you're right. She's doing it for the right reasons. She's protecting them. If they were to go to that, that portal, uh, that opening into the upside down, they could die. Her friends could get hurt. Mike could get hurt, which is her biggest worry. Um, and throwing Lucas off of Mike was her just trying to protect Mike. Yeah, um, the he's, one. you know, the one she has the most connection with. Right, definitely. So, uh, it is tough to see it, though, for sure. Yeah, totally. Okay, so let's move on to Jonathan and Nancy, right? So, uh, Jonathan and Nancy, they go to, to Will's funeral. Um, after the service, they're sitting alone nearby. Jonathan has taken the time to pull out a map. He's uh, marked the places where uh, people have gone missing, where Will was taken, where Barb was taken. Uh, he's basically, and where they they saw the monster themselves, and he's come to realize that, they've come to realize that it's, its hunting ground isn't very wide, right? No, it has to stay close to wherever it's coming from. Yeah. So uh, if you look at where Barb, at it, it, the house... Um, where Will went missing, and then where uh, Nancy saw the monster. So it's it's all in a pretty close proximity to one another. So uh, they indicate that they want to find it and kill it. Uh, Nancy figures that he should tell his mom, but he doesn't want to because she's been through enough. Um, but they need weapons so jonathan goes to his dad's car breaks into the glove compartment and takes his gun out yeah i like that he just swipes his gun swipes his ammo yep i'm like i don't care if you get into trouble somewhere on the road you're screwed <laughs> correct yeah definitely so she's like do you think it's a good idea and he's like what do you want to do yell at it take you know, take a picture of it you know like <laughs> gotta have something to protect ourselves if we're gonna go out there um, so Jonathan and Nancy, like, well, first of all, Nancy is at her house. She gets a bat and she's just swinging it left and right. <laughs> um, and she almost hits, um, Steve. Yeah. Steve who, who just ducks in time. Uh, <laughs> Steve finally realizing that he'd been quite a, a douchebag, uh, in the previous episode, uh, for not caring about about Barb being missing at all and just caring about his dad finding out that they had that alcohol at the house. Uh, finally comes to his senses. He kind of regrets what he did, uh, admits to being a jerk, and uh, inquires about Barb. Uh, of course, Barb uh, isn't anywhere to be found. 
And Steve sweetly says, you know, hey, why don't we just take the night tonight? We'll go, we'll go watch a movie for a couple of hours. We'll just pretend like everything's normal. And like all the right moves, I think. All the right moves, which uh, I get my chance finally to say this. By the way, that is a really, really good movie. Um, <laughs> I, I can't. I'm going to review it someday here on, on the Freaking Geeks podcast. Uh, there's no doubt. Because uh, I could go on for like an hour about that movie. But anyway, um, yeah. So Tom Cruise is in All the Right Moves. Um, this is 1983, so Risky Business as well. Um, yeah. So uh, she declines. Um, tells him that she, she can't tonight. Um so it's, it's kind of sweet, though. It's nice to, that he's there and he tries to make her feel better and tries to make amends. Um, but it's kind of funny because in this normal relationship, you would think it would be Steve that would be kind of ghosting Nancy, you know? Like he's the jock. He gets what he wants and sleeps with her, and now he just kind of ghosts her, you know? <laughs> and instead, and I know it's not exactly – it's different circumstances, but – regardless of why it's kind of Steve being ghosted by Nancy, you know, like she's like, I don't have time. I got things to do, you know, like kind of brushing him off, which is yeah. kind of a reversal of what we usually get. I like it. Yeah. It's pretty great. So he leaves, she continues practicing her swings. And then we see Jonathan uh, shooting at these bottles and he is a terrible shot. Uh, <laughs> she makes fun of him when he, she shows up uh, with her, her bat and some, some, different stuff um and he he says well you know the the spaces between the bottles that's what i was aiming for uh <laughs> and then she practices with the gun um well she grabs the gun and he says about how you know he cried when he was 10 when he shot a rabbit um and it killed it um and then he he says, you know, my dad, my mom, they, maybe they loved each other at one time, but I don't know when that was. And that's when Nancy says that she doesn't think her parents were ever in love, uh, that her mom married her dad because he was older and he had a cushy job and a lot of money. And uh, they decided to start their nuclear family. So this is quite a pessimistic view, um, maybe realistic, yeah, but certainly a, a darker view of her family. Very depressing. Yeah. So uh, they're walking in the woods and uh, they start talking. She asks Jonathan about uh, like why, what he meant about the picture that he took of her and that she was being a, a, a different person. And so I have the clip and we'll play it now. You never said what I was saying. What? Yesterday. You said I was saying something. And that's why you took my picture. Oh, wow. I don't know. I guess... I saw this girl, you know, trying to be someone else. But for that moment, it was like you were alone, or you thought you were, and, you know, you could just be yourself. That is such bullshit. What? I am not trying to be someone else. Just because I'm dating Steve and you don't you like what? him or Forget something. it. I just thought it was a good picture. He's actually a good guy. Uh, okay. Yesterday, with the camera, he's not like that at all. He was just being protective. Yeah, that's one word for it. 
Oh, and I guess what you did was okay? No, I, I never said that. You had every right to be pissed Okay, off. all right, does that mean I have to like him? No. Listen, don't take it so personally, okay? I don't like most people. He's in the vast majority. You know, I was actually starting to think that you were okay. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking, Jonathan Byers. Maybe he's not the pretentious creep everyone says he is. Oh, I was just starting to think you were okay. I was thinking, Nancy Wheeler, she's not just another suburban girl who thinks she's rebelling by doing exactly what every other suburban girl does until that phase passes and they marry some boring one-time jock who now works sales and they live out a perfectly boring little life at the end of a cul-de-sac, exactly like their parents, who they thought were so depressing. But now, hey, they get it. All right, Sarah, what'd you think of this? I like it. I like that he's being really real in that moment and... Yeah, she earlier she describes that, you know, she hates the relationship kind of her parents have and that there's no love there. And, you know, unconsciously, she's kind of slipping into that same mold or at least down the path and she can't see it. But that's what Jonathan's kind of laying out for her, that that's, you know, where she's heading. She thinks she's rebelling like every other person her age would do. But she's kind of just slipping into the same mold her mom did. Eventually, she's going to fall in with a guy popular guy who's going to buy her a pretty house in the end of the cul-de-sac, a.k.a. Steve. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's, it's, I like how the tables get turned on her. Uh, she's kind of given this, this nice dose of reality, like a big bucket of ice cold water kind of dumped on her head. Um, initially she has, things in her favor where she kind of just he kind of outlines that she's being a different person uh he see in the picture he he sees a different person someone who's trying to be not not be themselves would be someone different and she calls it uh calls it bullshit she says you know i said essentially what she gets she's trying to get to is you know maybe that was just me being me you know just because uh i'm trying out different things and trying Dating somebody like Steve doesn't mean I'm not myself. Uh, and I, I actually understand. I agree with what she said. You know, I, I think she's simply being herself. Um, because you got to remember when you're a teenager, everything's always in transition. People change. That's the point of being a teenager. You know, um, sometimes you are the nice girl or the nice boy who ends up going down a bit of a different path a few years later. It doesn't mean that you're not yourself. It just means that you've changed as a person and had different experiences. Um, yeah, it's about finding who you are. Correct. So I, I think I understand her her view that his comments are kind of BS. Uh, but then she goes on to call him a pretentious creep. Uh, <laughs> and he that's when he comes back with his uh, big rebuttal of her and kind of douses her. And what I love about this is that you know, you get this sense that there's some there's some really great chemistry between these two actors and certainly, you know, therefore the characters. And what I like about this scene is that her telling her the truth, the real truth, um, is something that nobody else would give her. And he's not scared, to, like, he's not scared to, you know, hurt her fragile feelings. He's going to tell her the truth, you know, whether you know, she likes it or not, or whether she gets hurt by it, because it's, you know, 
gotta have those people in your life that really give you the truth or else who can you trust who can you listen to right so uh so they move on uh they eventually as they're walking through the woods it's getting dark it is dark actually uh nancy hears a noise they go to investigate and there's a deer who is injured there's blood <laughs> yeah. uh they pull the gun out. Um, Jonathan initially is going to do it, but then Nancy takes the gun and she... Or wait, is it... Is that... Nancy was going to do oh, it, but then right. Jonathan kind of spares that's her. That's right. It's the opposite. So uh, Jonathan's going to shoot, and right before he, he shoots the gun to put the, the deer out of its misery, it just gets yanked out of nowhere by something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's so creepy. <laughs> they, of course, jump back, and then when they investigate further... Um, they get split up because Jonathan kind of keeps walking and Nancy stops, uh, which you're never supposed to do, by the way. Rule number one. When you're hunting a, monsters, don't split up. Rule number one in a horror movie, stay together. Um, yeah, we just watched it and that's the same thing. You know, they split up, they get picked off. You stay together, you survive. Right. So um, Nancy ends up spotting this tree, uh, has an opening in it. Uh, it looks kind of disgusting, like it's like it's dead, like it's dying. Um, the opening looks like I don't know just like covered in slime and snot <laughs> it looks really disgusting it's like this moldy some whatever Ugh. Yeah. so she crawls through decay. and when she comes in she comes through the, the tree and stands up she's in the upside down um, her uh, flashlight begins to go haywire and, and not work very well um like things do in the upside down and then she hears a noise she turns around and the light falls on the monster who appears to be eating something oh yeah he's Um, feasting all right oh yeah and um she is startled she's scared uh as anybody would be she steps back steps on a branch uh, of course. Which snaps the the monster's mouth flies open, and it screams at her. She starts running, yells for Jonathan. Jonathan, despite being in the other side, uh, our world, can hear her, and goes chasing after Nancy. Don't ask me why. When she caught up for Jonathan before she entered the tree, he didn't hear her. But now that she's in the upside down, he can. But we won't get into that too much, just because <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense. But hey, whatever. Um, and then we see the tree uh, begin to close up a little bit, like it's starting to close, and that ends the episode. Yeah, so great. What a great ending because it's so creepy. I remember watching this and thinking like, oh God, that's the end of Nancy because the way that it closes up, you just kind of feel like that's it closing up on her and that she's kind of doomed to be trapped in there with the monster. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, really good episode. Uh, Sarah, why don't you why don't you give me your, your thoughts on this episode? Anything you want to mention, talk about any storylines that you want to expand on or offer you know opinions you maybe haven't had a chance to, to do so far? <laughs> No, I really love this episode, and I always, like we talked about, forget how big it is, how great it is. Uh, There's a lot going on. Um, I love that we get rid of Lonnie really early, don't have to listen to him for too long. Um, Jonathan and Nancy, 
we love I love getting to see the dynamic of those two, the chemistry, the relationship, and just kind of their rapport with each other, and also kind of seeing Nancy with a bat and kind of being a bit of a badass and also shooting the gun. Yeah, you know, it's nice to see that side of her. Um, and the kids, oh, man, it breaks my heart to see them mad at Elle, but I love, you know, they're finally figure out what the Upside Down is, and uh, Mr. Clark's, you know, description of, you know, the flea and the acrobat, and, you know, what ripping a hole in time and space would do, and it's wonderful. It gives us information, and also giving the kids information. Um, it's a really big, great episode, uh, and for, I can't forget Hopper. I mean, I love everything with Hopper. He's fantastic and the justification that you know Joyce isn't crazy I mean that's wonderful uh so yeah big great episode um I guess if I had to give it a rating <laughs> it's so hard to give this like anything lower than A's so yeah a, it's an A again <laughs> it's totally A <laughs> uh yeah I can't really disagree with anything you said I love that that early on in this series in episode one Hopper seemed like uh a guy on his way out of life, you know, pretty much ready to call it a, a call an end to his life. Um, you know, he seemed like a guy who was just done. And uh, all of a sudden, we went from a guy who you weren't sure how good of a cop he was, really, uh, to realizing, you know, Hopper's a damn good cop. And, you know, beneath all of the, the alcohol and probably some of the, the, uh, painkillers and various things he was taking uh, was a really good cop, a really good police officer. Um, and we're seeing that now, you know, since probably, I want to say somewhere around mid episode two, mid to late uh, uh, part of episode two, uh, we've seen Hopper steadily more and more show exactly how good of a cop he really is. Um, he may punch people at various times for seemingly no reason, but that's okay. We'll hold it against him. Um, but he's a good cop with great instincts. And I love, like you said, he gave Nancy an affirmation that she wasn't crazy and validation. Joyce. Yeah. Yeah, Joyce. I'm sorry, Jace. Yeah, Joyce. I'm sorry, not Nancy. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, the Joyce was what she feared, what she believed in was all true. And uh, nobody can now dispute that. It's certainly not Hopper. Um, at least there's one person who truly believes in her 110%, no doubt about it. Uh, and she needed that more than anything. I love that. I love this, the storyline with the kids. Um, I just liked how everybody was proactive. Everybody is actively engaged in their storyline. Which is great. Yeah, the story is progressing, and it's not just standing still. Yeah, Love it. things aren't just happening to people. They're actually taking up weapons. They're doing things. They're actually actively uh, engaging. There's agency for them. Like They're actually out there trying to do something, and I love yeah. that. So for me, I got to give it uh, an A. It's a really great episode. Can't argue with that. Yeah, totally agree. Uh, so that wraps up this episode. Yep. Uh, all right. If uh, yeah, if you guys want to write into the podcast, you can do so by uh, writing in, uh, sending your emails to uh, freakinggeeksmedia at gmail.com. Uh, all lowercase, all one word. Um, just write in the subject line, whatever you would like to, what your subject is of your email, and we will include it on the next episode and provide a rebuttal. Um yeah, and what? What's our Twitter handles? Actually, it's at Freak Geeks Media. 
at Free Geeks Media. Yeah, simple enough. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find us there if you'd like to get on Twitter and contact us or send us uh, questions, messages, whatever you'd like to send to us. And uh, yeah, that seems to be it. All right. So hope we'll see you next week and, you know, stay stranger, geeks. All right. Have a good one. Bye.